You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. It is an honor to be back with you. I've been here a couple different times, and if you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 9. We'll get there in a few minutes, but first, I just want to tell you what a delight it is to come to Living Word Chapel every single time I can. Um, This is unsolicited. Here's the deal. I am so proud of you. So proud of the work that you guys are doing uh, in this region of the city and beyond, and so proud of what is to come and some of the dreams and visions that I know James has been sharing with us and that he's been sharing with you and the things that are coming down the pike for you and the partnership you have in the the kingdom advancement uh, of reaching people for Jesus and changing lives. And um, you are a healthy church. And I'm just honored to be a small part of just cheering you on from afar and cheering you occasionally when I get to be here. So uh, a real delight uh, to be here. And and, uh, James, you're a great mentor and a great friend, and I appreciate you uh, very, very much, maybe more than you know. Um, But today, uh, I'd like to kind of talk about this deepening faith and how a deepening faith is a dusty kind of faith. And hopefully by the end, that'll make sense. Because it doesn't probably make sense right now. But a deepening faith is kind of a dusty kind of faith. The reality is we live in a culture of negotiation, right? How many of you use negotiation? How many of you are married? Yeah, you use negotiation all the time. And, and it's something, how many of you are parents, right? We negotiate. We work things out. We, uh, I remember going, uh, anyone ever been to Nogales? Uh, maybe a while back when it was a little safer, uh, and you go across the way and they have all these shops and my dad would take us down there and my dad had a nickname, I'm sure it was probably everyone's nickname, but they would call him Mr. Cheap, right? And they would, Mr. Cheap, you would barter, you would negotiate on prices and we'd walk away and they'd call out, Mr. Cheap, Mr. Cheap, and come back and we'd work on negotiating a price. We live in a free market system that think of free agency. We got the NFL getting ready to start up again, and how many different athletes have changed teams, and there's always this negotiation going on as you work out the deals. We have it happen in our families and in our homes, all the way throughout our whole society. But what's interesting is when people came to Jesus, there was no negotiating. In fact, when you read through the scriptures, you won't find it. You won't find this bartering. See, what you have to understand is when Jesus called people to follow him, there was no bartering, there was no bartering, there was no finagling, there was no selective commitment. It was an all-in, all-or-nothing kind of thing. And when you hear that, I don't know if you bristle against that, but there's a part of us in our own heart that says, well, that seems kind of intense, that seems like a lot, and maybe, maybe even you're, you're back here at church, maybe this is your first time back in a church, and I'm so glad that you got to this church. This church knows how to love, and I hope that you would just keep coming and begin to figure out, maybe get curious about who this Jesus is, because what sounds so, struggle, what sounds so tough and so challenging at first actually 
has something beautiful hidden behind it. See, Jesus is an all-in kind of God. He went all in for you, all in for me. He went all in, no negotiating, no trying to finagle, just went and did what only he could do all the way to the cross. And in his resurrection, we have proof that he gave everything for us, that his all in kind of love is a challenge to us to go all in with him. And and again, that may seem challenging at first. We may think, well, gosh, I don't know if my spiritual credit score is that good that I could go all in with Jesus. You may feel like in certain times that, that, that you don't measure up. It's almost like, is Jesus looking for like a special op, super religious kind of team? Because I don't know if I'm that, Jack. I don't know if I've got that in me to be that kind of person. I just don't know. Maybe you've seen the commercials around town where people are driving in the van and they say, anyone can get a car, right? And they pull up and they throw the person in the car. We can finance you. And what do you all think? No, there's fine print somewhere. There's some lawyer talk somewhere, right? When we hear the call anyone, we go, no, there's fine print. There's, there's something that's holding this back. And it seems like in our culture of negotiation, or our culture of fine print, that maybe in some ways when Jesus throws out this challenge that we've got to go all in with him, it's, I don't know if I could do that, Jesus. I don't know if my spiritual credit score is high enough for you. And here's where I want us to go. I want you to look in Luke chapter 9 and go on this journey with me, looking through the New Testament and some interactions Jesus has, that this invitation to be a follower of Jesus is possible. And not just to have a beginning, but to have a deepening walk with God. And so in Luke chapter 9, one one of my favorite passages, we look at this idea that Jesus is speaking to his followers, and he asks, I think, the most important question we read in the New Testament. And he says to his followers, who do people say I am? And some of them answer, well, some say you're kind of like Elijah. Some give different answers. And then he narrows down, he says, but who do you say I am. Friends, that's the most penetrating question in all of the New Testament. When Jesus asks a person, you, me, who do you say I am? Is he just a good teacher? Is he a good moral guy? Is he a miracle worker? Is he a good humanitarian? Or is he more? This is when Peter speaks up. He says, you're, you're God's Messiah. You're the chosen one. You're the son of the living God. He says, Peter, I know God's revealed this to you. That's exactly who I am. And he kind of goes on a little bit more, and this is what he says. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose and forfeit their very self? If anyone, maybe your translation says, would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. What's fascinating about this invitation of Jesus is that he uses the word anyone. If anyone would come after me, think about it. In a religious system back in the first century, people trying to find their way to God and to work on a relationship with him, to establish that, to create it, to, to, to work on that, it wasn't available to anyone. It wasn't available to the elite. 
It was available to those who were the super religious spiritual ops team. And everybody else, that's why people flocked to Jesus. That's why they sat on a mountainside and listened to him talk. You you read the Sermon on the Mount, and it's the people who were wanting it, but knew they could never get it. And Jesus begins laying out a plan to say, it's for anyone. The kingdom of God, life with God is available to anyone. And when he says anyone, there's no lawyer talk. There's no fine print. There's no negotiations. There's no prerequisites. What he's saying is anyone is welcome. Anyone is welcome. He lowers the system. You have to understand, in the society where Jesus was, Jesus was a rabbi. He was homeless, unconventional, I'll give you, but he was a rabbi. And a rabbi had incredible knowledge of the Old Testament, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament, the writing of the prophets, and a rabbi in the first century, think of it as, was a rock star of their day. Everybody wanted to be a rabbi. And you would go to school, you would try to figure out how you could be this. You wanted to be a student of a rabbi. You wanted to be in this place where you could ha- be a part of this incredibly exclusive group of people. In fact, can I give you a little bit of Jewish history, okay? So at the age of six, you would enroll in Beth Sefer, the school where you would learn to write, to read, to recite large portions of Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That was your schooling for about age 12 to age 13. So about six or seven years, you would be a part of this. And this is how you would learn. It was this incredibly educated society. And you would go through this training. You would enter in and you would learn and you would dig in and you would educate yourself and and you would be quizzed on things and you'd have to memorize large portions of scripture. And when you got to about 12 or 13, school was over. That sounds pretty sweet, right? But here's what would happen. If you couldn't advance further, you would probably go back to your father's trade, to your mother's trade, to the family business. And that's where you would be. And you would begin to contribute to the family that way. You'd become a tradesman of some kind. And that's where you would be. But friends, if you were good enough, and if you had enough passion for Torah, and enough passion to understand the writings of God, And if you could give yourself to that, and if you had this incredible intellect that could be able to memorize large portions of scripture, you could enter into the next uh, next level of school, Beth Midrash, and what you would do there is you would begin to train. But this was an exclusive group of people. This was not for anyone. This was not for everyone. You had to work really hard. You had to be invited People had to see something in you to say you're worthy of this adventure. And you would maybe, just maybe, begin to become part of what's called the Talmud. And the Talmud is the group of apprentices, if you will, that would follow around the rabbi of that synagogue or that region or that part of the town. And you would try to appeal to that rabbi to see, can I be part of your Talmud? Can I learn what you have learned? And more than that, the word uh, disciple that we have in English is really from the word Talmud, which means not just to know what the rabbi would know, but to become like the rabbi. And if you were the top and the elite and the best of the best, after Midrash, you would be able to go in 
and be part of this Talmud. And you'd be invited in, but see, there's prerequisites for that. Anyone ever been to Harvard? Uh, I haven't. Um, I don't think they even know my name or would even recognize me. Why? Because here's what we know about Harvard. There's prerequisites, right? You kind of have a 4.0. You better get a 1,600 on your SAT. I, I don't think I could even count that high on my SAT. Um, but you've got to have all these accomplishments and all these prerequisites done. And the challenge is, that's what it was like then. All these prerequisites to become part of the Talmud, to follow around a rabbi. Here's what would happen. After Beth Midrash, you would maybe appeal to a rabbi, and you would say, Rabbi, I would like to be part of your Talmud. And the rabbi would either say, no, right away. They'd read you out because maybe they know something about your family, maybe they know something about you, maybe they know something about your past, maybe they know about your scores in school type thing. Or they would say, I tell you what, you can follow me around for a few days. And you're like, oh, it's on-the-job interview. Anyone ever had an on-the-job interview where you've got to like test yourself about it and you've got to figure things out and this is what you would do as a Talmud. You would follow around. The rabbi would be walking down the street and he would turn to you and say, hey, how many times does the word Lord appear in Isaiah 55? Go. Anyone know? Me neither. Um, and you would have to have the answer. He would turn and say to you, uh, Psalm 119, really long, quote it. Uh, uh, uh. And you'd have to know it. See, the Talmud was interrogating in some ways because, see, the student represented how good the teacher was. And you were going to be a reflection. And so you had to be part of the elite. But then Jesus shows up. What's fascinating about Jesus as a rabbi is he was so unconventional. See, most rabbis studied in a school about 12 miles north of the Sea of Galilee in that region. That's where the major school systems were. That's where you went. But Jesus takes a stroll around the Sea of Galilee. Can we, can we read a little bit of what happens there? Mark chapter 1, here's what it unfolds. Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were, what? Fishermen. That tells you something. They were fishermen. He says to them, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. He walked a little bit further, saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called to them, come follow me. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Now, if you've ever read that before, has that ever bugged you? Because it's bugged me. Doesn't it seem like Jesus does like some kind of Jedi mind trick here? Just walking up to random people in a boat on the side of the sea and says, you will follow me. And they leave everything. They leave their father's trade, they leave their nets, they get out of the boat that they're supposed to be working that day, and they leave everything. Well, context, Jesus is a rabbi. Rabbis are the rock stars of the day. Why are they fishermen? Take a wild guess. Because they weren't good enough. They're doing their father's trade. Why? Because they didn't measure up. They didn't make it. 
They didn't make the cut. They weren't elite enough to go where they wanted to go as good Jewish boys. So they're doing their father's trade. They're fishermen. That's where they are. They're 12 miles from the school system that they really wanted to be at. But Jesus, the rabbi, comes walking along in their region, and he calls out to them. They didn't appeal and say, can we follow you around? Can we follow you, rabbi? The rabbi calls the student, and in doing so, he says, I believe you have what it takes to be like me. I believe you have what it takes to be like me, not just know what I know, but to be like me. You come follow me. This is an incredible opportunity and why they left everything. Because their whole life had been aimed at trying to get there and realizing they could never make it. See, when Jesus says anyone is welcome, what he's really saying is the prerequisites have been taken away. And that anyone really means everyone. And everyone can be my follower. Everyone can be a part of my team. Everyone can be a part of what I'm up to. See, it's why you fast forward a little bit later in the book of Acts, and it's after Jesus' death and resurrection, and Peter stands before the Sanhedrin, the, the major political power of the day, and he begins preaching a sermon in the middle of them. These are the people who put Jesus to death, and he says, no salvation under no other name except the name of Jesus, and we all know what you did to him. And he begins playing out in Acts chapter 4. And the Sanhedrin, this political power and religious power of the day, looks at Peter, James, and John, and he says to them, these people are ordinary people. These are ordinary men who spent time with Jesus. They were blown away. Why? Because they're ordinary. See, when Jesus begins asking people to follow him, it says, anyone who wants to be my follower, Anyone and everyone is welcome. People wouldn't have looked around at his disciples, his Talmud, and said, I guess that's true. Because you got fishermen, you got a tax collector here. I don't know how he made it. You got political hotheads following you around who are trying to do insurrection. And, and yet people are looking around and beginning to see. Maybe this Jesus has a different way of seeing things. In John 15, Jesus says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I've learned from the Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. Anyone means everyone, because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. This isn't about uh, race structures, this isn't about class structures, this isn't about who has what and who doesn't have this. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And Jesus continually invites people, says, look, there's no more qualifications, which also means there's no more excuses. And we love to hide behind excuses. I don't know if I can go deeper in my walk with you, Jesus. I, I've got four kids. <laughs> I'm barely making it. And Jesus says, no, there's no more excuses. Because you did not choose me, I chose you. And I've just asked you to follow me. The best you know how in the season that you're in, and we will do this, we will do it. I've invited you to be a follower of me. Let go of those excuses that are holding you back. 
Jesus, I don't have time. I'm a tradesman. I'm working so hard trying to keep food on the table. I'm trying to, to get and grow my business. Jesus says, no, no, we can do that at the same time. You can follow me. You can go closer. You can draw closer to me. You can hold off of your excuses because I've made this available to anyone and to everyone, and I've done away with your excuses. We tend to hide behind. Jesus said in Luke 9 again, anyone who would be my follower must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Don't hide behind that. See, anyone is welcome. Everyone is included. No more excuses. It is anyone, but it is everything. That's the challenge that Jesus lays out to his disciples. Anyone is welcome, but it's going to cost you everything. But I'm an everything kind of God. I pour everything into you. I've done everything for you. It's by my grace that you have your even breath. And as I've poured into you, I'm asking that you would be a part of what I'm doing. That's why they would leave their nets. That's why they would get out of a boat and they would walk down the shore with Jesus. They begin to follow this rabbi who they didn't try to appeal to, but Jesus shows up in their world and he makes the appeal. You come follow me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And you come follow me. You come all in on what we're doing. The greatest teacher, the greatest savior who's ever been says to you and says to me, you come follow me. See, deeper faith always begins with our proximity, not our potential. A deepening faith is always about our proximity to Jesus, not our potential for Jesus. Jesus doesn't look at us in this room or myself or anyone and says, they've got great potential, I'll call them. Who did he call? Fishermen. Who didn't make the cut. But Jesus said, me and you, we got enough. You come follow me. A deepening faith is always about our proximity over our potential. God is more interested in your availability than your ability. He's more interested in your availability to him. Will you open your heart? Will you open your life? Will you open your family to him? Will you open up uh, your resources to him? Will you open up your, your mind to, to have it retransformed, to be renewed in a way that you begin to see the world the way he sees it? I, I wrote this as a bottom line. It's our proximity to Jesus that deepens our faith with Jesus. It's our proximity to Jesus that will deepen our faith with Jesus. See, the deal with a rabbi in those days is as a Talmud, as a group of following those, that rabbi, wherever the rabbi went, you went. So if the rabbi went to the store, guess where you went? We're playing along. To the store. If the rabbi went into this part of town, guess where you went? This part of town. If the rabbi went among the sick, guess where you went? If the rabbi went to the place of persecution, guess where you went? That's what's radical about Jesus. Is that everywhere Jesus wants to go, whether it's through the Copper Corridor, into San Manuel, 
into Oracle, into further reaches of, of the scope that he's given you to go. He's going there before you. What he's asking of his Talmud is you come with me. See, anyone's welcome, but this is going to cost you everything. And as you give everything to him, he will deepen your faith. Why? Because it's your proximity to Jesus, not your potential for Jesus, that will deepen your faith. It's your proximity to Jesus that will deepen your faith with Jesus as you begin to walk closer and walk this out with him. Uh, this last uh, fall, or last uh, spring here, uh, my littlest one, uh, who's 10, did softball for the first time. Any other any people do softball or softball parents? So I grew up as a baseball guy. My son played baseball, and, and uh, here's the thing with baseball. Um, there's grass. Shocker. Uh, softball, not so much. Uh, a lot of dirt. Didn't realize that. So I show up to practice, the very first practice, with my new white tennis shoes, right? And I go, and, we're, and, we're, and I, here's the deal. I signed up. When we signed up, I was like, hey, I'll be happy to help. And uh, I got an email that I was assistant coach. And I was like, oh, that didn't go like I thought it was. Um, but I've been telling my people, hey, we've got to be around people. We've got to invest in people. So I was like, well, I better put my money where my mouth is. So I became assistant coach. And I'm there, and I've got these white shoes. And we have one practice, and they are brown. I'm like, man, I didn't realize how dirty softball was. And so I go home and scrub them off, and I find my old tennis shoes, right? And my old tennis shoes, they just kind of waited around in my Jeep for me. But I would pull them out. These used to be kind of grayish. Now they're just kind of all brown. And the interesting thing about these shoes is I just left them in my Jeep so you didn't want to ride with me because every practice and every game, this is what I wore and the, the, the smell would kind of linger. You know. But what I learned was that softball is so dusty. There was a saying for the Talmud. May you follow your rabbi so close that the dust of your rabbi would be upon you. May you follow your rabbi so close, may the dust of your rabbi be upon you. See, it's our proximity to Jesus that will deepen our faith with Jesus. It's as we walk close with him that it just begins to rub off more and more and invite us into a deepening walk with him. So friends, may the dust of your rabbi Jesus always be upon you as you follow him, as you walk with him. You know, maybe you're here today um, coming back to church. Maybe you're here and, and you've been in a place in your own life where you, maybe you feel like if I were to ask you, how close are you and Jesus right now? And you would begin to struggle. Maybe you begin to see and say, I, I don't know what that begins to look like. I, I don't know where I am with that. Then friend, I, I want to challenge you today. Following Jesus is open to anyone and everyone. There's still no more excuses. You don't have to be part of the spiritually elite. You just got to be normal. You just got to be invited. And Jesus invites us to walk with him. So maybe today is your day 
where you say, Jesus, I want to realign myself. I want to work on my proximity with you. I've been wandering. I've been getting distracted. I, I've been looking after and chasing after other things. And maybe today is the day where you and, you and Jesus want to have a conversation. Maybe you've never even taken a first step into a relationship with Jesus. Then friend, today I want to invite you to respond to that, to recognize that there is a Jesus who knows your name, and who came searching for you. And so if that's you today, I'd love to lead you in a short prayer. And if, if you pray this with me, there's nothing special about the words. This is just about aligning our life with Jesus. And then I'm gonna pray for us as a whole, and I'm gonna stand back here in the back. I'd love to celebrate with you. And so would you join me in a prayer time? Father, if there are any here who have never accepted Jesus, never turned kind of the keys of the leadership of their life over to him, I pray today would be the day where they choose to take a first step with you. If that's you, maybe you just simply pray this. Jesus, I recognize that I need you. I've been doing life on my own, and I don't like where it's gotten me recognize that you're a savior who came on a search and rescue mission for me for the forgiveness of my sins and through your resurrection I can be empowered to live life with you now would you come into my life and lead me forward Father for the rest of us myself included. God, it's so easy to make church or to make religious things about knowing a bunch of stuff. But Jesus, you've invited us not just to know a bunch of stuff about you, but to actually walk life with you. I pray for everyone here that we would find our next step and that we would dedicate our life out of gratitude for you being an all-in kind of God who's gone all-in for us. That we didn't choose you, you chose us. And you've invited us to stay close to you. And that our proximity to you, Jesus, will deepen our faith with you. So Father, as we sing this next song, pray that you'd stir our hearts. Give us a moment to figure out what our next step is for you. And friend, if you're here today and you've prayed that, I, I'd love to celebrate with you in the back, some of the team here at Living Word. Father, we ask that your spirit would move and this next song is work in our hearts. We love you. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more.